Mark chapter 4, verse 1 through 20. Again, Jesus began to teach beside the sea, and a very large crowd gathered about him, so that he got into a boat and sat in, in it on the sea. And the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. And he was teaching them many things in parables. And in his teaching, he said to them, Listen, a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground, where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up, since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing, and yielding thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. And he said, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. And he said to them, To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But for those outside, everything is in parables, so that they may indeed see but not perceive, and may indeed hear but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. And he said to them, Do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word, and these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground. The ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then, when tribulation and persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit, thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. This is God's word. Amen. We are making a pivot or a turn in Mark's biography this morning through, through his life, ministry, and uh, teaching. Jesus has been making the case that he alone is the king worth following. And so we call the last section monarch means one. And yet in making such a bold and outrageous and exclusive claim to the throne, uh, this new kingdom is inevitably going to clash with the old one in a kind of royal confrontation. A royal confrontation. new regime is going to look different from the old one. So we're going to see next week how every citizen is invited to participate in the new kingdom. We'll see how the old tactics of fear get replaced with faith. And we'll see how old systems of evil and power are confronted by a new authority for good. This morning, we see Jesus make a distinction with regard to who is a citizen in this new kingdom. Now, there are a handful of types of people described in this passage that Chris read for us this morning, but Mark lets us peek behind the scenes, kind of peek behind the curtain to, to, to really see that there are really just two groups. There are really just two groups. Look in verse 11 with me. He said to those who sought him out, to you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God, 
but for those outside, everything is in parables, or in this context, better translated probably, in riddles. So there are insiders and there are outsiders to this new kingdom, and neither is whom you would expect them to be. So we're, we're firmly immersed now into the holiday season, right? Uh, Christmas is coming, uh, New Year's is just around the corner from that, and at some point you're likely going to walk into a kind of party or function where you're not going to know everyone who's there. All right, so Katie and I are going with another couple this weekend to some sort of gingerbread function. I don't know what it is, and I won't know everyone who's there. And inevitably, there are two groups of people at these kind of holiday functions. Uh, some, those of you who are going to walk in feeling like you belong. Some of you are going to walk in feeling like you belong, confident, assured. And even though you don't maybe even want to be there, you know you're going to make the best of it. And that's just kind of who you are, it's your personality, that sort of thing. Then there are others, uh, others of us who feel like you don't belong. You rehearse ahead of time maybe what you're going to say. Uh, you've targeted a time in which you've given yourself permission to leave, right? Maybe you've talked about it with your significant other, here's the time we might, we're going to leave. You've even thought about your half-true ex half excuse for leaving the function, right? Like, for example... You know, I have another commitment. I'm sorry, I got to go. I have another commitment. That commitment is with your couch, upon which you're going to sit to watch the next episode of The Golden Bachelor. All right? And so that's technically a commitment. I can call it a commitment. That's what it is. All right. Similarly, <laughs> big Golden Bachelor fans I see out here. Very good. <laughs> Similarly, I don't trust him, by the way. That's another story. Similarly, in, the, in this huge crowd that has gathered to listen to Jesus, there are two groups of people. There are those who listen to Jesus feeling like they belong. We belong. The one group who believe their interpretation of the Bible was the right one. Then you have another group who runs the temple and can trace their priestly line all the way back to King Solomon. You have another group who want to do away, or sorry, who want to walk away from the materialism of Rome and, and, and from the worldliness of modern religion of the time. And then you have another group who wants to do away with Roman rule entirely and establish Jewish rule again in Palestine. Each group and their adherents feel like they belong. They are the ones who belong. And then, as with any gathering, there are those who feel like they don't belong. But the result isn't what we'd expect. It's the ones who don't belong, who don't feel like they immediately get it, get what Jesus is saying. They go the extra mile to listen as Jesus exhorts with his first words here. They are the ones who have ears to hear. And they are the ones who end up as insiders. The one who can admit to Jesus that they don't get it are the ones who ultimately get it. Understand this, why the unlikely end up getting it and the likely end up on the outside. We have to understand what Mark means when he says Jesus was teaching them many things in parables. Parables. So I read everything I could get my hands on this week with regard to parables. And here's my distilled definition of what a parable is. A parable is a single point illustration that catches a hearer and knocks them off balance and invites them to respond, calls them to respond. 
The most common mistake when people read parables, however, is over-interpreting them. Over-interpreting them. Like with an allegory, people mistakenly take each character, each symbol, and they, were, they assign each little thing real-life meaning and significance. The early church fathers were great at many things. A lot of them over-allegorized all these parables, if you were to read their stuff. The parable of the sower is the most tricky one. Because Jesus does tell us what each symbol means. Verse 34, the seed is Jesus' word of good news. Verse 15, those who hear the good news but aren't self-reflective enough to see their own failure, their inability, their insufficiency, Satan quickly comes in and steals that good news. Verses 16 and 17, the rocky ground are those who are attracted to Jesus' good news message, but becoming a forever child doesn't really anchor their, their sense of identity. Their, their core identity. So when trouble comes along and persecution and stuff, they sort of drift away without an anchor. Verses 18 and 19, the thorn-saturated soil are those who are attracted to even love Jesus, but they love self and they love other things even more than Jesus. Just a little bit more. The Bible calls this idolatry, right? I believe that Jesus helps them out a little extra here and Mark lets us in on this sort of extra explanation because it is Jesus' first parable. It's a new device, a new method of speaking. So if you would flip ahead a little bit in your Bibles to verses 33 through 34 of chapter 4, Jesus shared a few more parables. And then Mark says, with many such parables, he spoke the word to them as they were able to hear it. He did not speak to them without a parable. But privately to his own disciples, that didn't just mean the apostles, that meant all who were following him, privately to them he explained everything. Mark no longer lets us in again on the behind-the-scenes explanation to those who've sought Jesus out. Because rather than over-interpret the parable, Mark wants us to hear the parable again like Jesus' original audience would have. Choose for ourselves whether we, we want to enter into it and perhaps let the parable interpret us, change us, speak to us. Back to my initial definition of a parable. It's a single point illustration, a single point. It's got one punchline that's meant to catch us. In fact, speaking of punchlines, a modern joke, a modern joke someone would tell today is, is kind of a helpful it's helpful for understanding the intended effect of an ancient parable. So I was with a small group of people as this guy was aggressively making his pitch about a product that he purchased. It was this battery-operated warming vest that you wear underneath your clothing. It, like, it sort of warms up your torso in the winter. Maybe some of you are wearing it now. I doubt it, but maybe so. I don't know. He was talking about it. He was talking it up. He says, great thing. I love this thing. He said, you know, it keeps me warm for like four or five hours during many a Philadelphia Eagles game that I attended. That I attend. He said, the only thing is you got to bring your own battery. So I, said, I spoke up. I said, well, I have just one question. I said, as a, as a Philly fan, are you required to throw the battery on the field after use? Or is that just a perk of having the battery? Now, see, only like two or three of you got that joke. All right. Most people who I were talking to, including the pitch man, they laughed at the joke, including the Eagles fan. He laughed at it. Some of you laughed, very few of you. <laughs> I 
but not all of you got it. See, Philadelphia fans are sort of renowned for being belligerent, even booing their most successful teams. They once got so bad that during a baseball game in 1991, Philadelphia Philly fans threw batteries on the field at J.D. Drew. And that tradition has continued to the point where Duracell actually made a commercial targeting Philadelphia fans in it. But of course, for those of you who didn't get that joke, my explaining it probably didn't help at all in terms of really landing the punchline. If you have to explain any joke, which is why I use this particular joke, if you have to explain it, it no longer packs the same punch and no longer catches the hearer. It's the same thing with parables, right? You don't have to explain them. Jesus uses them to pack that one punch to catch the hearer, to consider their life in a new light. The problem is these parables were from 2,000 years ago in a place we've never lived before, most of us, I think all of us. All right, that's the problem. So I've got to sort of interpret it for you. Now, so I want to share with you this morning the punchline to this parable that they should have got. Here's the punchline of this parable, but first let me reset the scene. The largest crowd yet had assembled to hear Jesus. So to give him maximum visibility, he uses a boat right off the shore as a sort of floating pulpit. The likely location for this teaching is a, is a basically a natural, expansive amphitheater between the towns of Capernaum and, and Tabgah, commonly known now as the Bay of Parables, where a human voice could be transmitted effortlessly to several thousand people. When I visited uh, uh, Galilee back in uh, 2020, right before the pandemic, we could actually hear people do this from the shoreline up to the amphitheater, and they would, you could hear. You could hear very naturally. It was incredible. Well, in other words, he situates himself where people can hear. Then he opens by commanding, please, listen. His first words, listen. Then he proceeds to use the word translated here seven times in just 20 verses. So what are we getting here? We're getting, listen, hear me, hear me, hear, hear. So in updated words for today, the punchline for Jesus' parable is this. You're not hearing me. You're not hearing me. Because the acoustics were ideal, Jesus asked them to listen, to hear seven times, and he finishes, he who has ears, let him hear. This would have been the last thing the crowd heard. And so their objection almost certainly was, yeah, Jesus, we hear you. <laughs> the acoustics were ideal. You asked us to listen. We all, in fact, have ears. We hear you. You ever have a conversation with someone and someone bluntly draws you up short and they have to say, no, 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 you're not hearing me. I know those of you who are married have had that conversation before, but, but I mean, all, all of us, somewhere you say, no, 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 you're not hearing me. Right? And when someone says that, there are a couple different ways to, to react. Someone's pride might be wounded, they might take offense, and they'll respond ultimately by sort of walking away, not having really heard. Or there are a few who get the punchline of what you're saying, and they'll respond, okay, then help me understand. Help me get what you're saying. 
And that's exactly what's happening here in Mark chapter 4. Most walk away. Actually, Jesus himself walks away. He goes off somewhere to be alone, we're told. No one was meant to get the parable in the first telling of it. But some did get Jesus because they were humble enough to recognize that they don't get it, that they don't yet belong, that they don't yet have all the answers, but they doggedly seek out the one who does. They go after him. See, friends, Jesus, getting Jesus requires the humility to ask for his help. Getting Jesus requires humility to ask for help. And that's exactly what we see in the key verses of verses 10 through 12. And I don't want you to miss the details of what's said there. Jesus, first of all, was alone. Humility is required to resolutely seek Jesus when he sneaks off to be alone. And these people, they they risked troubling the teacher. He went off to be alone. He went off to be in the wilderness by himself, maybe to be with the Father. We don't know. But they risked troubling the teacher. It would have been considered potentially rude in that day. But they knew that without his help, they would never really get it. They would never really get life, and they certainly really never get him. Those around him, plus the 12 apostles, also notice asked. They asked. I've told my teenage boys before, one of my biggest regrets when I was their age and into my 20s is that I never asked enough questions when I didn't get it. When I didn't get something, I wish I would have asked more questions. But out of pride, after not wanting to seem like an outsider, not wanting to appear like I didn't get it, I walked away. I stayed silent. These select few humble themselves because they seek, they ask. And Jesus says, to you, I've been given the secret of the kingdom of God. You notice that? To these. And that's our message in a nutshell. It's quite simple. Ask for help. That's the message in a nutshell this morning. But come to be the kind of person who humbles himself, herself, to ask for help. When reading this passage, some worry that they're the hard or shallow soil. Followers of Jesus and lots of preachers have overinterpreted this passage and tried to unlock how you can go from 30 to 60 to 100 times more fruitful by doing this or by doing this method or that method or whatever it might be. This is what it means. When those of the good soil are right in front of us in verse 10, they're right there. There are those who humbly go to Jesus and say, Jesus, I want to get what you're saying to me. Help me get it. Help me receive it. Help me see myself clearly in your word and in your world. Help me know where to walk next and how to respond. Getting in touch with and staying in touch with your own insufficiency, you're falling short, you're not getting it, such that you turn to the one who has answers, who can rescue you and wants to. If you do that, you're the one who has ears to hear. On the other hand, to those who feel like they've figured out life, who don't need help, confident that they're already included because, you know, you know, Jesus says this, they may indeed see, but not perceive. They may indeed hear, but they're not going to understand. Jesus is quoting from chapter 6 of the Old Testament book of Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah, 
It's a context, it's a time when God's people were really polished at putting on a religious display, right? Coming to church, coming to the temple, coming to putting it on, but they don't actually seek God for help in loving their neighbor, in in administering justice for for immigrants, for orphans, for widows, for the marginalized, people who assumed that they belonged because maybe they were born into that religion. They did. They checked the boxes and did what was expected of them as their parents taught them, but they didn't have the humility to ask God for help and keep on asking. To them, to those outside, everything is in riddles. And that's a better translation, by the way, for the context there at the end of verse 11. Everything is in riddles. The people who assume they belong and got it figured out, anything Jesus says goes in the same bid as like a Confucius or a Yoda or something like that, a wise-sounding riddle that we all sort of nod our heads to, but we don't actually get it. Few passages, guys, cause people to wonder about where they stand with God like this one does. And my biggest fear is that you just assume that you're in. Maybe you've been going to church for years, or you just count yourself a pretty good person. And because of that, you know, God's going to ultimately let me in. Those are the same people who gather to hear Jesus and assume they get in. They just get it. And they never seek him out. When all that's required is to go to Jesus and just admit that you need help. Such are the fertile soil ready to receive the secret of the kingdom of God. God delights in people who simply know they need help. So I want to implore you, if you've never before asked for Jesus' help, go to him and simply say, Jesus, I need your help. And he would love to receive you. For those of you who have asked of his help in the past, I want to encourage you, keep on asking. We didn't mention verse 13 when Jesus said to those who had already humbled themselves by coming to him and asking and seeking him out, and he asked them, do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables that I'm going to tell? How? By continuing going back to Jesus for help. Jesus here with this question, he's setting them up to keep on returning to him. See, how are you going to understand all the parables? Do what you just did. Keep coming back to me for help. Keep coming back to me to seek understanding, to seek help. That's how you become the good soil. A few weeks ago, I was doing some reading on on building a habit, a lifestyle of humility. That, That the habit of humility is steadily built as you continue to ask for help during a dozen daily decisions of saying, I need help. So I wrote out a challenge for myself this past week to ask, I wrote this down, okay, right, ask for help whenever possible, just for a week. Ask for help whenever you see opportunity to ask. So even though we had just been through the college admission process with our eldest son, I asked two parents what advice they can give me in that process as they go through that with their oldest child. Even though we'd been through the process, we'd done this reading, we'd gotten, gotten counsel, I said, you know, here's an opportunity for me to show humility and ask advice from them, what, they, what they're learning. To someone I, ta- I was talking with who loves to grill, even though I have my own dry rub and glaze for tri-tip, and I feel very confident I'm going to cook it later today for some people, I asked, what do you do? I'd love to hear 
just to put myself in a posture of humility. I was the official scorer for a basketball tournament this past week, for a high school basketball tournament, and I asked two high schoolers sitting behind me in the bleachers, to, who, who, by the way, seemed that had no interest in the game at hand, to help me out, because I'm, I, to, to, to notice who scored just in case I missed it, because I'm getting older and I miss things, right? Even though I know basketball very well, I'm asking two people who know nothing about it behind me for help, which is very humbling. My biggest takeaway from all this, guys, is that I only shared with you three examples. That's only three times in an entire week in interacting with people. Because it's so natural for me, it's not natural for me, I should say, to humble myself and ask for help. I can only give you three examples. It's not natural for me to humble myself and ask for help. So Jesus, I come to you. And maybe others come with me to you this morning to ask for your help. And I ask for your help with asking for help. <laughs> because it doesn't come natural for me. Jesus, I'm tempted towards self-reliance. I'm tempted to assume I get it. And I walk away not hearing what you would want to say to me. Forgive me, but also help me going forward. The ones in our story who will produce 30, 60, 100 times what you sow in them are the ones who seek you out for help and keep doing so for the rest of their lives. Lord Jesus, may we do the same. Help us. It's in your name we pray. Amen.